privileged we are to open God's word and to read of the events of that first Christmas and how wonderful that God has kept his word over all the centuries so that we can read it today. This morning we're reading from Matthew chapter 2 and we're reading the first 15 verses. A familiar passage, but let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to new truths from God's word. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw its star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son, the word of the Lord. Thank you, Judy. Uh, If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 2, where we will be uh, reading and hearing from the scriptures this morning. I want to say again, welcome. It's so great to see you and to be worshiping uh, the Lord Jesus Christ with you here today on this Christmas 2023. Can you believe it? In many ways, uh, this is a great text for today because this is not really a story about the Christmas night. 
It's not really uh, a story about the actual birth. It's a story about some time later, and it's a story about some strange visitors coming to town. And for many of you, that's maybe what you've been thinking about this Christmas, right? You got a lot of strange people coming to town, or you're going to town to see some people you haven't seen in a while. Don't comment. If they're here with you, don't nudge, all right? Keep that, keep that for home, okay? Uh, uh, but... But this is a story about people showing up unexpectedly and giving you some information that you weren't really planning to hear. And it's about the fallout that happens from that. It's a story about how Christmas is divisive. And as much as we want to say, like, Christmas shouldn't be divisive, it, it's sort of always been divisive. It's always been, it's always been this thing that sort of separates people into two groups. And I'm not just talking about people who celebrate Christmas and people who don't celebrate Christmas. But, but as you celebrate Christmas, what are you celebrating? And that's kind of the question that... Uh, I want to sort of lead in with. Uh, here at WDBC over this month, we've been talking about the Prince of Peace. This is a title that's given to Jesus in the prophecy about him in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He's given four names, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. We're looking at that title, Prince of Peace, over the last few weeks. I encourage you, if you want to hear more about that, what it means for Jesus to, to, to be this promised one who would bring peace, to hear about the peace that he's brought in heaven, and to hear about the peace that he brought on earth, please go back and listen to some of the things we've been talking about from the scriptures. If, if you're here next week, you'll hear about the peace that Jesus leaves with us as Pastor Chris opens John 14 for us. Uh, but tonight, no, excuse me, tonight, today, we're looking at his title, which is the Prince of Peace. And I want to give you sort of the sermon in a nutshell. Uh, so if you're one of these people who are like, I don't have an attention span more than, more than like three minutes, this is for you, okay? Take a picture, go back to it, screenshot it, right? Review it when you, you feel like you're getting lost, okay? This is sort of the sermon in a nutshell. Here it is. The one born king is our peace. I want to emphasize the fact the one born king, not the one born to be king, he's born king. He is our peace. And where this passage is going to take us, the journey that we're going to go on in this story is, is we're going to sort of, we're going to realize that, you know, if we're celebrating the birth of Jesus at Christmas without worshiping Jesus, without humbling ourselves before Him, without surrendering our lives to Him, without being captivated by His beauty and His glory and His goodness. If we're celebrating Christmas without worshiping Jesus, it's like getting every Christmas present you could ever want, coming down Christmas morning, seeing it wrapped under the tree and saying, I'm not going to open any of it. <laughs> it's like having every good thing put right in front of you and saying, nah, I don't actually want to get close to unwrap it and see what's inside. You say, that's foolish. Yeah, it is. Christmas is about worshiping Jesus. And we're going to see that joy comes when we find him, not just when we find out about him. And as God has recorded for us through uh, Matthew, the visit of the Magi, it's so that we can know the difference between finding Jesus and actually just finding out about Him. So we're going to hear, we're going to ask you the question this morning, how do you hear the news 
of his birth today. How do we hear it? With that, would you pray with me as we ask God's blessing? Father in heaven, would you help us to behold Christ, to heed the voice of the angels today, to see him? Father, would you show him to us in a real, in a true way, perhaps in a way we haven't seen him before? We thank you that he is our peace, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, in terms of an outline this morning, if you're someone who likes sort of hooks, these are the hooks for you. Uh, so to understand the difference between finding Jesus and finding out about Jesus, uh, we're really going to ask three questions of this text, of this visit of the Magi. The first one is, who is threatened here? The second one is, who rejoices and thirdly, we're going to take a step back and say, why worship the child? So as we go through the story, we're going to ask the question, who is threatened here? Who rejoices? And finally, why worship the child? And by the end, I hope that you see and you come to agree that the one born king is indeed our peace. Who is threatened here? We open the, the scriptures to verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Sort of three things, three messages that they come. Now, who are these magi? Look, as cute as the stories are, they may or may not have been kings. Really, what you're looking at here is these are astrologers. These are, the, the, these are sorcerers. <laughs> Um, the, the only other time this word is used outside of the birth narrative in the New Testament, it's a guy who's a sorcerer that Paul has to effectively use spiritual authority over to get him to shut up. This is, the, the, these guys are sort of the occult. <laughs> and they show up from the East where, where there was a reputation for uh, this, this type of divination and the idea is not too much different from what people do today, is you look to the stars, you look to the planets, you, you look to the universe around you, and you try to anticipate, you try to see what the universe is going to give you. And the idea is if you can just get a little bit ahead, if you can just sort of figure out what the universe is trying to do, then, then you can plan accordingly. That's sort of what these guys did. Well, they, they are captivated by this sign, this manifestation, and they go on a journey. So we need to remember, this, this, by the time they arrive at Jesus' house, it's not like the next day, most likely. It's been a little while. They've been traveling a great distance. But they show up in Jerusalem. They show up in Jerusalem and they start asking this question. Now, you can imagine a bunch of foreigners come to town, a bunch of people not from your neighborhood. They don't look like you. They don't dress like you. They don't talk like you. They don't practice your religion. They start showing up and they say, hey, who's the king of your people? We heard he was born here. What? <laughs> strange visitors, strange news. We saw his star. We've come to worship him. Verse 2, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. We have a king on the scene here. His name is Herod. He's a fascinating character from a historical perspective. <clears throat> what you need to know about Herod is he was not a Jew. He was uh, an Edomite or an Idumean as he was called in that, in that day. 
his father was, a, was an Edomite, his mother was an Arab, and he was granted kingship over Judea by Rome. Herod was an incredible, resourceful builder. If you look at some of the wonders of the ancient world, you, you look at the fortress of Masada, you look at the Herodium, you look at the renovation on the second temple, which is marveled about through the Gospels. These are all building projects undertaken by King Herod. He's a fantastic administrator and a great builder, but this guy was paranoid, and he was power hungry. You say, how so? <laughs> well, I could tell you multiple stories, but I think just a few will suffice. Out of his 10 wives, he loved his second the most. He was absolutely captivated by her beauty. However, he was so jealous and obsessive over his power that he would end up literally killing everyone off in her family around her and eventually having her executed as well because he was convinced her mother was plotting against him and she was plotting against him as well. He gave strict instructions that if he were ever to die, that there were other Jews in the region, leaders in the community who were to be arrested and then put to death to force the nation to go into mourning at his passing. I could go on and on, but I won't because it's Christmas. <laughs> King Herod is a paranoid guy. Even after he had his wife put to death, it was said he would walk the halls of the palace in, in, in fits of insanity, screaming, calling out to her. Herod is a disturbed guy. And by the time this comes about, we know that his, he's really feeling threatened in his power. So great administrator, capable leader, uh, managed to hold on to a position. That's why he's called Herod the Great, but he's a paranoid dude. So it's no surprise that he gets disturbed when these foreigners show up and they start saying, hey, we heard a king is born. Oh, and by the way, the king is actually of this people. He's not a pretender like you. So he calls them together. He asks them where the Messiah is to be born, and they're given the answer. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way. These are the wise men. They, they went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. If you look in your passage, verses 7 and 8 describe how King Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So here's this guy, Herod. He's disturbed by this news that someone's been born king under his watch. And this Herod who has all the resources and all the power, he needs more information. So he gets the religious leaders, the scribes, the people who know the scriptures well, they say, hey, where's where this kid supposed to be born? They answer, well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So he calls the Magi secretly and he says, hey, you go find out where he is and come back and tell me so that I can worship him. Now we know that that wasn't his intent because later on when he doesn't find him, he orders the death of every child under the age of two living in that vicinity. This is a paranoid guy. He is threatened. And Herod really is a type 
of the person who hears the good news of Jesus, hears about this Prince of Peace, and is thrown off by the, the idea that he's a prince. Peace is a threat when it comes as a prince. To people like Herod, they're confronted by the intent of others to worship. To people who are intent on their own glory, the worship of the one born king is a threat or a challenge to their sense of identity, to their sense of purpose. You see, Herod had gone through his whole life trying to build and consolidate and, and, and really keep everything under his control. Are we that much different? We might not have the means at our disposal, but how different are we? Building up, building up, building up, building up, trying to, trying to get that little bit further, try to get that little bit ahead, try, try to not, not, not lag behind too far. And how many of us get disturbed when something unexpected comes into our life and begins to destabilize? When some other authority shows up. But what's interesting, and if you're listening to yesterday's message, what throws Herod off is their worship. You see, here come these rich, wise people, and there they are in Herod's city, and they're saying, we're here to worship somebody, not Herod. They got all these gifts. They got all these treasures. And as if Herod thinks they should be his. Herod is threatened. Jesus disturbs his peace by the fact that he is a prince or literally a king. I want to encourage you today. You don't have to be the king of everything to have peace. You don't have to have a conglomerate. You don't have to have a company. You don't have to have a relationship. You don't have to have children or grandchildren. You don't have to have these things to have peace. You don't have to win to find glory. Think about that for a second. You don't have to come out on top to find glory. And you don't have to conquer to find rest. See, unfortunately, Herod had all those things backwards. You see, he thought he had to be in control in order for him to have peace. Does that sound like something close to your heart? It, it, it's really close to mine. <laughs> this idea that I, I need to have my hands on the levers. <laughs> I need to know where the buttons are. <laughs> I need to know what to pull. And I need to know what to, what to move and what to shift. I need to know where the pieces are. And as long as I know where all the buttons are and I know that they all work and I know the levers work and I can do that, then I know I can have peace. You see, as natural as that is in our sinful nature, God's message to us at Christmas is you don't find peace by being in control. You find peace by being in worship. You don't find peace by being a king. You don't find peace by building up and by getting everybody to say how great you are and by having all this wealth and here is Herod who had everything at his disposal. He could have marshaled a whole group of people. He could have organized the celebration. 
We all say, yeah, right, he would never do that. And you know why I think we say that? Even though many of you probably don't know much about Herod, it's because you know your heart, you know you know my heart. <laughs> and we know that when people get into power, they don't like to give it up. Herod is threatened by this child, the Prince of Peace. So who rejoices? The, the Magi rejoice. They rejoice in finding him. Verse 10, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 9 and 10. They, they see the star as it rises. It gone ahead of them uh, over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They actually went to him. And, and this is so interesting to me because Herod was curious. Herod doesn't, like, ignore the message. Herod's not saying, you know what, that's just religious mumbo-jumbo. I'm not a religious person. I'm a materialist or I'm an atheist or, or I don't believe in that mumbo-jumbo. It's not, it's not my faith tradition. That's not what Herod says. Herod is actually quite interested, and he actually goes to the trouble to find out. But what he never goes to the trouble to do is to see this Jesus for himself in a posture of worship. He never even actually sends his own people but the Magi, they go and they find Jesus and they're overjoyed. And what happens when they arrive? They worship the Prince of Peace. On coming to the house, they saw this child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Remember those three things they said? Where is the child? We saw his star. We've come to worship. How far would you go to worship Jesus? How far would you travel? Imagine for a moment you're living in a country that doesn't have freedom of religion. Imagine for a moment that you're waking up on Christmas Day and you're not in Australia where you can gather in a church publicly, but you're in another country, another nation that views the message of Jesus as sedition and heresy and treason. How far would you go? How far would you go from your family? How far would you go from your homeland? How far would you go from your stuff and your possessions? How far would you go from your job? This is not a convenient trip for these guys. This is not, hey, you know, on the way back through, let's just duck into Bethlehem and let's have a sticky beak and see what's going on with this child. This is not it. This is costly. The sole point of all of this is worship. The sole purpose is worship. And that's why they bring their gifts. To worship the Prince of Peace. Now finally, why do they worship? And, and here the, the clue comes to us from Micah chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, which is a prophecy in the Old Testament. And this, this investigation that they did to understand where the child's coming from, they would have taken them right back to Micah chapter 5, where we're told that this child, this ruler, this shepherd of God's people is going to be born in Bethlehem. If you read a few verses later, this is what you read about this same child. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. He will be our peace. So why do they worship Jesus? And why should we worship Jesus? 
Well, we're told that we should worship because the child-born king has origins from of old. This child is none other than the ancient of days. What that means for you and I is that this child was there when God chose to create us, when God chose to set the universe and all the galaxies and all the planets and all the stars and all the animals and everything, when God chose to bring that into existence, this child was there. You say, how can he be the wonderful counselor? He can be the wonderful counselor because he has origins from of old. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly how you were made. Every day ordained for you was written in his book before one of them came to pass. Worship him because he made you. We also worship Jesus because he's the shepherd of God's people. There's been an understanding that, that God, when he made human beings, that they fell away. And ever since the first man and the first woman rebelled against God, there's been this yearning for someone who would lead them back, this, this yearning for someone who would bring God's people into God's kingdom. And this is what Jesus does. He leads us back. We need a shepherd. It's okay to be a sheep. It's okay to be someone who hasn't got it all figured out. It's okay to be somebody who's messed up. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't have all the answers because we know who the shepherd is. So we worship Jesus as the shepherd of God's people. We worship Jesus because the child-born king extends his greatness over the earth. This is the promise that the greatness of Jesus Christ will spread throughout the globe. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful picture? That God's not just doing this in a corner and in a little hovel somewhere. That might be where it starts. It might be in this little lonely town. But if we fast forward two millennia and we look around the globe and we see the impact of this child, we see his greatness spreading over the earth. Yeah, there's some things that are done in his name that are not befitting of his glory and his goodness. There's people who do things as Christians or as the church that make us shudder. But Jesus, Jesus throughout history, his story keeps being told. His name keeps being celebrated. His praise is unending. His greatness is extending over the earth. We worship Jesus because the child-born king is the son of God. He is God's son. As, as Matthew rightly makes the link in the connection here, he says in the end, he says, out of Egypt I've called my son. I've called my son. He is the son of God. In some ways, you could divide human history over that line. He is the son. Do you believe he's the son of God or not? But ultimately, we worship Jesus because the child-born king is our peace. Now, when I say this, I want you to know I'm not saying he's a means to your peace. I'm saying he is your peace. And he is my peace. You see, so often we can think that the good news of Christianity is we found a genie in a lamp. And that if you somehow rub the lamp the right way, you can get the things that you want out of life. 
But that's not the good news. That's not what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about God coming to us and God being our peace. It's entirely about a person. You see, if you're still looking for a means to peace, then guess who's still at the switch? Guess who's still at the control room of your life? It's you. It's me. If I'm looking for that golden ticket, if I'm looking for that right lever, if I'm looking for the perfect combination of buttons, even to the point of how many times do I read my Bible and how many times do I pray and how often do I go to church and what do I say? Any time we make our own effort a means to peace, we're really taking the good news and we're leaving it unopened. It's sitting there under the tree. Hasn't been unwrapped. But the promise is that he is our peace. He is our peace. As we were talking about this, uh, one of our elders in Sermon in Scripture said, ironically, finding peace requires relinquishing control. Most people think the only way to have peace is to maintain control. So, why would we worship Jesus? Like, why would you take time today? You got a lot of stuff going on. You got stuff, you know, you're probably looking to do and to accomplish. And, and you, got, you got pressures in life. You got responsibilities. And, 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 you know, when you sort of add up all that and you think about all the obligations that you have, you, you can be, t- you, look, I, I understand. You, like, worship just kind of feels like another thing. And, like, and you can be tempted to think, you know, why does God need my worship? Like, he's God already? Like, isn't there some other people worshiping somewhere else that are kind of giving him the worship he needs right now? Have you ever thought that way? But I don't think that's the right way to think about it. While God is worthy of my worship, he doesn't need my worship. <laughs> If anything, if anything, I need to worship. If anything, I need to surrender. I need to know the one who is my peace. Brothers and sisters, those of you who've heard the gospel story many times and those of you for whom this is very, very familiar, I want you to think about where does this story end This story ends with a bunch of people who had no business being in Bethlehem going on a long journey and winding up at the feet of the king. As the band comes forward, I want you to be thinking today about how far would you go to worship? Have you you found him? not saying have you found out about him. There's plenty of things you can find out about Jesus. A Google search will help you find out about Jesus. A few books will help you find out about Jesus. You you can read the Bible to find out about Jesus. But what's more important is have you found Jesus? Have you encountered him? And when you do, what happens next? Because the good news of God to you is that this Jesus will be your peace. 
This Jesus will give you what you need. As one songwriter has put it recently, all I've ever needed is found in him. That's why they can lay down their treasures. That's why the journey is worth it. That's why they're happy to humble themselves at his feet. How far would you go? How far will I go? As we go through our Christmas day today, let's worship the Lord because he is our peace. Sure, he's the king and, and we ought to worship him and he's worthy of it, absolutely. But, but why wouldn't you want to for a God who would humble himself like this? Why wouldn't you want to for a God who's not afraid of a bit of mud and a, and a, and a trough in a stable? Why wouldn't you want to for a God who will walk around for 33 years, will have meals with people, will heal, heal sicknesses from people, who will talk to poor people who norm, normally get overlooked, who will not bother with trying to accumulate stuff for himself, but will just give himself away to the point of spreading his arms on a cross. Why wouldn't you want to worship a king like that? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for sending Jesus our peace. May we see him and know him and love him. Father, our hearts betray us. Our thoughts are fickle. Our actions incomplete. But we know that Jesus makes us whole. So, Lord, would you make us whole as we worship him now? In his name we pray. Amen.